तपो क्षीण पापा शातरागिण Of the gross body, the subtle body, the causal body, everything. And thus, 
pursuing the fallacy of the conclusions that I have on myself. <coughs> That's not enough, of course. But, Jiyatma Paramatmanoho Mahavakyahi Aikyam Vidyat. Then one must discover, I am not this, then who am I? I am pure consciousness, awareness, which is self-shining, just a mere witness in whose presence everything takes place. I am Satchidananda Nitya Nirmalaha. I am ever pure, full and complete Satchidananda. In this manner, may you discover the identity between yourself and Paramatma, meaning may you discover the self which has been taken so far to be a limited entity, in fact, is not limited. Because the limitation is a sense that is created on account of taking this body, mind, etc. to be myself. <coughs> and this is how anena prakarena jnatavyam. In this manner, the self is to be known meaning by removing the notions, by discovering the notions to be notions. In this manner, I become free. Because what binds me are only all these various notions. But I am limited. And these are all the different, that is, I am limited. That is like the Shruti, that's always in the background. Then when I say I am happy, I am unhappy, I am good, I am bad, I am successful, I am a failure, all of these are nothing but the modification of the same Shruti, I am limited, I am limited. So just as in that musical program, at the back you have this Tanpura, and the constant Shruti, the note is being played, and what the, the musician sings are all the modifications of the same note, and so also all the various notions that I have are the variations of one fundamental notion that I am a limited being, I am bound. <coughs> and as we discover that this sense of bondage, there is no real, there is no uh, validity for me to conclude that I am a limited self. That these conclusions arise only on account of identification with the body, then I start becoming free from them and that is how I discover the Atma to be free. <coughs> now this method looks like a negative method. The question is Atma Surupa Jnana Atan Nirasana Abhare Kakshatihi Introducing the verse 38, it says here that isn't there another way of knowing myself directly? Atan Nirasana Abhare Suppose we do not have this Atan Nirasanam meaning negating what I am not. That means what it is. Atat means what it is not. Atan nirasan, nirasana, negating what it is not. Meaning, negating what I am not. That is all. This is a method that they recommend, or this is a method that is employed in Upanishads, and the only method possible, Atma Surupajnana, in the knowledge of the self, is the whole thing of negating what I am not. <coughs> Suppose we don't do that, suppose I don't negate what I am not, kākṣatihi, then what is the problem there, ityāsaṅkya? Atan nirasana abhāve ātmā jñātum asakya hai. So unless you negate or unless you see the mithyātvam, the falsity of what you are not, until then it is not possible to know what you are. We have to know very clearly what I am not. Meaning that what all notions that I have been entertaining, 
how all those are erroneous notions, meaning the error has to be recognized as error. And unless that is done, there is no way of knowing myself. Atma, jnatama, shakya, yasa, ayam sarpahedi, aropitasya sarpasya, apakarana abhare, rajjidnyanam, no utpadyade, tadvat. Just as, for example, where in fact there is a rope, and you look upon that rope as a snake, meaning commit the error of taking the rope to be a snake. Now, aropitasya sarpasya apakarana abhave, unless you discover, unless you recognize the fact that this is a snake, this, this is an error, that your taking this object to be a snake is an error, and unless you recognize that as an error, and unless that error is removed, there is no way that you will ever know the rope. Because the rope is as though covered by the very error of taking the rope to be the snake. There is nothing else that really hides the rope from you. And so also there is nothing else that hides the self from me, from myself. And the self is limitless whether I know it or not. It shines, the limitless shines by itself. And therefore it doesn't have to, to be made to shine. Only that just as a rope is taken to be a snake, the limitless self is taken to be a limited self. Just as I superimpose the concept of snake upon the rope, so also I superimpose the concept of limitation or inadequacy upon the self. <coughs> and unless I discover that this is an error, until then there is no way that I will ever come to know the true nature of myself. So, isn't there a way of knowing that rope other than knowing that the snake is false? No. Because as long as I think that the snake is real, so long, the very ground for knowing the rope is not there. And so also, as long as I think that I am a limited self, then whatever I do, that sense of limitation will never go. Any attempt that I make to know the limited, limitless self or become the limitless Behind all those efforts is already a notion that I am a limited being. And how will that notion go? It will not go by itself. There is no way that I can encounter the limitless self or that I can stumble upon the self because it is not different from me. Had limitless self been different from me, which of course it cannot be because then it cannot be limit, limitless. But suppose Atma were different from me, then I can stumble upon it somehow, somewhere, at some time. I cannot stumble upon myself. And so there is no way that I can ever discover unless taught that what all I take myself to be are all errors. And unless I know the error to be the error, then until then the superimposition meaning taking one thing to the other will not go. Tadvat anatma nirasanena atma jnatavya just as by knowing that the snake is false, and that is how the rope is known, and so also knowing that this is anātmā. What I have been taking to be ātmā is in fact anātmā. In that manner, the anātmā has to be known as anātmā. <coughs> and therefore, the thirtieth verse says here, āvidyakam sharīrādi Drasyam buddha vatksharam Etadvilakshanam vidyat Etadvilakshanam vidyat 
अहम ब्रह्मेति निर्मलम शरीरादि आविद्यकम दृश्यम बुद्धवत क्षरम शरीरादि मीन्स ऑल दिस कॉम्प्लेक्स दिस कॉम्प्लेक्स बिगिनिंग फ्रॉम द बॉडी एंड वट इज दिस कॉम्प्लेक्स दिस कॉम्प्लेक्स विच आई कॉल आई दिस बॉडी सेंस ऑर्गन द वाइटल एयर द माइंड द इंटेलेक्ट ऑल ऑफ दिस मेक्स दिस कॉम्प्लेक्स विच इज वॉट आई कॉल एज आई All of this is avidyakam. Avidyakam means that which is created from avidya, that which is a product of ignorance. At the moment, taking the body to be I, that notion is born of ignorance. But in the ultimate sense, even the body itself is a product of ignorance. In the ultimate sense, because if we trace the origin of the body, then we will discover that. The reason why the body is in the first place is because it is, as it was said earlier, a counter of experience. It is a place or an abode remaining where I can gain various experiences in the world. All right, why was the need for this abode remaining where I can gain various experiences? Because there is a need for experiencing. Why was there a need for experiencing something? Well, I wanted to become something. I thought that I was unhappy. I am unhappy, and I want to be happy. I think that I am limited. I want to be limitless, and therefore there is a need to gain that happiness, need to become limitless. And therefore, I mean that need can be fulfilled only when there is a place remaining where I can function, and therefore the body came into being. And that need also required for me to have the the instrument. or the means to fulfill the desire and therefore i require the organs of action i require the organs of perception i require the mind i require the intellect all this equipment is needed in order to fulfill the desire of becoming limitless or to fulfill the desire of experiencing happiness and that desire itself is a product of what the desire itself is a product of taking myself to be a limited being that i am a limited self Now that sense of limitation is a product of what? Is a product of avidya or ignorance, not knowing the self, which is which is pure, nitya nirmala, which is ever pure, ever unconnected, ever awareness, not knowing that I am limitless already. I take myself to be limited. From that arises desire to become free from limitation. From that arises the need to fulfill that desire, and therefore the need for the body mind complex. And from I mean mind, intellect, and sense organs, and from that arises a need for having a body, so that all those experiences can be gained. So ultimately, this body, in the sense organs, in the mind, in the intellect, all of these are products of that the fundamental desire of becoming limitless. If that desire were not there, I would not be born. The reason why I am born is that I want to become fulfilled. I want to become limitless. I want to uh, be happy. If the desire is not there, who will be born? Koshyavanyat kafranyat yadesh akash anandu nasya. The Sri Tiruvanni says, who will breathe in and breathe out? 
there will be no need or there will be no incentive, motivation for anyone to even continue with living unless this Ananda Atma Nasya, unless this Atma were there. Since Ananda is there, the limitless is there, the happiness is there, that's what is the motivation for one to continue in breathing. And I would not have undertaken this task of breathing merely being born had this Ananda not been there. And therefore, I am born merely to gain Ananda, to gain happiness. And so, all this, this itself, this desire, the, the desire to be happy or the desire to be limitless is the original cause for the whole, I mean, birth of the whole creation. Otherwise, the whole universe would not have been there. I would not have been there, and if I am not there, well, the universe would not be there. Because all the objects are meant so that I can experience them. The five four objects, the world, Shabda, Sparsha, Rupa, Rasagandha, and the five corresponding organs of perception, all that beautiful setup is there. For what? So that I can always communicate, or I can interact, I can experience. So that need for experience on my part is the motivation on account, because of which all these things are there in the first place. And if that, that motivation is there only because I think that I am a limited self, and that is that is there because I do not know what I am. And therefore, avidyakam, this body and this whole complex is a product of avidya. <coughs> That's the first thing that we should know. And therefore, when we analyze this body and reduce it to its fundamental components, or take anything in this world and then reduce it to its fundamental components, ultimately everything will get reduced to ignorance. And so far we know that everything gets reduced to energy, but ultimately everything gets reduced to ignorance and unmanifestation. And ultimately it all gets resolved into I, the awareness. <coughs> so this is a product of avidya, ignorance. See, this is how they look at it that there is a very peculiar way of looking at the whole thing. They don't look upon this body, I mean, you know, we look upon it in a different way. It's a male body, female body, a beautiful body, tall body, etc. That's my way of looking at it, which is fine. There's no, uh, I mean, you know, we're not opposed to that. But then understand something more about the body. What is the source of this body? Why is it there in the first place? What is it that it is doing? And then we find out that the source ultimately is this desire and desire to be limitless, which desire itself arises from ignorance. <coughs> so, avidyakam, then drushyam. What is the other peculiarity of this body-mind-intellect complex? Drushyam, darshana-yogyam, that which is the, the object of darshanam, object of perception. It is something that is known, it is something that is objectified. So, Drishya means object of knowledge. And this also we have to clearly see. And take our time to, to make sure of this. Take time to see this fact as clearly as we can as to how this body, this Drishyam, is an object of my experience. And so that is, meditation will be part of all of this, you know. So, it would involve this. Sitting quietly and just watching the body. By watching from tip to the toe, you know, watching the whole body from the, the top to the bottom and bottom to the top. And see that every part of the body is something that is known to me. It is drishyam, an object of knowledge. That's all you have to know. 
we need not further say that it is, uh, you know, we don't have to condemn the body or anything, just know that it is an object of knowledge, it's something that is objectified. I am the subject, the body is the object. I am the knower, body is known. Similarly all the sense organs also, similarly the mind also, similarly the intellect also. But when can I do this? When I do not become emotional about this thing, you know, meaning that, oh, this body is terrible, oh, this body is ugly, oh, this body is such and such. That is called emotional, you know. So moment I get, um, I become attached to that, or I have rather or dresha, emotion means likes and dislikes. Moment I have attachment to the body, then I get lost there also. And, and there are any number of people who spend a lot of time with their body, you know, looking at the mirror and, and their muscles and things like that, you know, and whatever it is. And so because fascination for the body. And there are other people who avoid their body also, perhaps in the same way, if there is a, a, a dvesha or an aversion for it. So raga and dvesha make us not objective, make us subjective. <coughs> As we are studying in Panchagasi, that likes and dislikes are all just the, the subjective creation. For me to be able to see this fact that this body is drishyam and I am drashta, the first requirement is I sh- my mind should be free from likes and dislikes, attachment and aversion. That I can observe this body in an objective manner without being in lost in it. As simply as I can observe this wall, or as simply as I can observe this book. So simply if I can observe my body. And when I observe the book, I am neither attached to the book, nor do I have an aversion for the book. And therefore I can know the book as it is. And so, so, if I do not have an attachment or an aversion, then I can know the body as it is. It is an object of knowledge. You can enjoy the body. As I can enjoy a tree, I can enjoy a mountain, I can enjoy any creation of nature, and so also I can enjoy the body. Except the enjoyment should not be uh, motivated by likes or dislikes. So when I look at the mountain or a tree or, or, a, or, a, or a lake or whatever, there is no aversion nor any attachment. I am able to appreciate them for what they are and enjoy them. And so also I can certainly appreciate the body for what it is that it is a very beautiful equipment. And if I, if I do not employ the, the standards that are given to me to, uh, uh, to determine whether it's beautiful or not, you know, that's all different. So there are different standards given, you know, what is called beautiful. Suppose we set aside all those things, then you will see that the body is beautiful. You know, any mechanism, if you are a scientist, then you will look at it that way. If you are a student of biology, you will see the beauty in your own way. If you are a student of art, you will see the beauty in the form of shapes and curves, etc. If you are a student of music, well, I think everybody will want to find the beauty here, depending upon whatever uh, orientation there is, because it is a very beautiful creation. And anything else is a beautiful creation, but the human body is the most beautiful creation, most intricate, most sophisticated, most beautiful. You can enjoy it, provided there is no raga, no dvesha. That this is my body, this is a useless body, or miserable body, or fantastic body, or whatever it is. When I don't have that, 
I can be objective about it. So to be objective becomes a very first need for knowledge. Well, to be objective is a need for any knowledge. A doctor has to be an extremely objective person when he performs his whatever, you know, uh, the dissection, dissection, etc. upon upon body or whatever, there is total objectivity. And suppose a surgeon is performing surgery, he is objective. And then alone he can perform, he can do what he has to do. He cannot afford to be subjective. <coughs> this is my wife, how can I do that? And so on. Then he cannot perform his surgery. A scientist has to be objective, then he takes a specimen and he analyzes it. And similarly also, we take a specimen called the body and analyze the reality of this body. And the first thing is, avidyakam. Well, even if you cannot understand that it is product of ignorance, drushyam, that it is an object of knowledge. That's very clear. That is something known to me. As clearly as this tree is known to me, or as clearly as the mountain is known to me, the body also is known to me. Perhaps the process of knowing will be somewhat different. That mountain stands away from me in terms of space. There is a distance between I, myself and mountain in terms of space. Which kind of a distance may not be there between myself and the body? But distance in terms of the knower and the known, the subject and object, that distance is definitely there. <coughs> and therefore, this is drishya jatam, the body. All my sense organs, all of them are also drishyam. That's all. My mind also is drishyam. No grudge against the mind, nor any pride about the mind also. I am free from pride as well as grudge. That I don't grudge my mind because it entertains certain thoughts. Fine. So they are, the mind also is nothing but a flow of thought. And every thought also is known to me. So mind also is Trishyam is an object of my knowledge. My intellect also and everything else also Trishyam object of knowledge. In this manner we have to see. Drishyatvat Buddhavat Kharam And whatever is Drishyam is what? Kharam is perishable. Anything that is known or anything that is objectified is all perishable. And so body is also perishable, just as a tree is perishable, a mountain also is perishable, meaning that today or tomorrow it will be destroyed. As I say, the Pokhanos are all this is, uh, very old mountains. All of them have been worn out, you know. I never, you know, mountain is worn out, can you imagine that? And so the mountains which are not worn out are young mountains, like Himalaya is a young mountain, and therefore it is so tall. Perhaps after some billion years it may be worn out, you know, and there may be some hills there as we have here. So mountains also get worn out. Only when you go to this Grand Canyon that you know how wearing out takes place. They say that if you come any, you see, every day you come here, it's a different thing. No, the, this place is not the same on any two days. So when you come again, so you will definitely find a different place. Depends on how sharp your observation is. But every day the water is just, you know, there is a, there is a wear and tear of the, the soil going on, erosion of the soil. And it's a, just a very beautiful creation. But you can see how earth also can wear out. There is an erosion and how things are constantly changing. <coughs> so anyway, kharam, kharam means perishable. 
and Vedantins like to call it Buddhavat. Buddhavat means like a bubble, perishable like a bubble. And so, well, uh, is it is this body like a bubble that just blow off, blows off like a bubble? Well, that depends upon the time scale. So, with reference to the time scale that we have, of course, the body lasts for a very long time, like 70-80 years. But with reference to another time scale, you may call it like a bubble. As Arjuna could see, it's just a matter of changing the time scale. Suppose when the block graphs, you know, they, uh, there is a scale. When you see map, for example, road maps, etc., or map of a town, there is a scale there. And one inch is equal to 20 miles or something like that. And so the, the whole region of 20 miles is compressed into one inch. So you see the whole city in front of you just on a piece of paper. Which city is spread out in so many hundreds of square miles. And similarly also suppose we change the scale of time. When you say that one second is equal to 100 years, suppose. And you could imagine the whole universe, you know, at that rate, as Arjuna could see. The Lord's mouth, that is the jaw of death, was open. And he found that the whole humanity, why humanity, the whole creation is just entering the mouth of the Lord. There is no other business, this fellow is, he is born, the only business he has is to run towards death, that's all. Imagine 100 years is equal to one minute. Now you see when we, we this television, you know, or this, this uh, video cassette, when there is a fast forward or something, how you can see movements, you know, going on. Now suppose you fast forward in such a manner that, 100 years is equal to one minute, and imagine your life. You are born, in one minute gone, born, gone. Anyway, reduce it to one second, and what? You can't even see the changes, like a bubble. It's born, gone, born, gone. And as you know, so everybody was entering, there was no business, nobody has anything to do with birth, is only seen to be nothing but a journey towards death, from womb to the tomb. And so, this kharam, everything really is perishable. It's just a matter of time scale. As in dream, the time scale changes, and how we see generations, I see grandfather also, and father also, and myself also, and all kinds of things we see. In span of a couple of minutes, you experience, you gain experience of so many years there. And so, kharam in that sense, it is what? Like a bubble. Lakshmistoya taranga bhanga chapala. So there always, somehow, this idea of everything being kshanikam is there right from the beginning. Not only Buddha said, Sarvam kshanikam kshanikam, sarvam dukkham dukkham. That's one way of looking at life, which perhaps is a negative way of looking at it. But then, it also is an aspect of life that we have to be aware of. Everything is momentary. And moment may be equal to 100 years, or moment may be equal to 1000 years, or moment may be equal to 16 billion years also which may be like the one cycle of creation, or whatever it is. But still, with reference to what we call the timelessness, it is just a moment. And so, that everything is, then we should know. Because we get so preoccupied in our fifty or hundred years, that we have no idea that we are seeking freedom from the limitation of time also. And so the timelessness, the limitlessness also is timelessness. Because the moment there is a concept of time, it is going to be limited. And so when I'm seeking the limitless, I'm also seeking freedom from this whole, this, the, the effect of time also. And with reference to the timeless, 
What is hundred years? Nothing. For example, anything divided by limitless is zero. And so divide hundred years by limitless or infinity also is zero. And divide one billion years by infinity, that also is zero. And therefore with reference to the Anantakala, the, the, the time, you know, which is the endless time that we are talking about, this is all. So we really have to rise to a certain height. Get out of all of our little things, you know, five years, fifteen years, hundred years like that, and, and look at the whole thing from a different perspective. So we have a little narrow, constricted perspective. And therefore, they say that we just turn the, uh, the microscope the other way around. Every little thing, you know, look at the microscope in one way. A small thing looks so big, turn it around, a big thing looks so small. So right now, maybe small thing is so big for us. Because that is how our, because this little thing, my little life is so important. My little body is so important and therefore every little thing is so magnified out of proportion. Just turn the other way around. This is called the Vesti, Vesti window, Vesti point of view. Look at it from the Samasti, the total point of view. As Vedanta Sara says, when you are walking in the forest, every tree is a huge tree, every tree is different from every other tree and you can notice all the differences. Rise up 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet, 35,000 feet and look at it from a plane and what do you see? Ekam Vanam, one forest. Where formerly there were at the ground level where there were thousands of trees, now you rise to the height of 7 miles and what do you see? One forest. What happened to all the trees? They're still there. But you no more see those differences in them. Now all you see is, what is forest? Treeness is called forest. Because you don't see any distinction between one tree and the other tree. All you see is treeness. And so also, as long as the river takes itself to be a limited entity, well, of course it is limited. But then, when it goes to the ocean, then altogether a different perspective comes. And all there is, is just water, ocean. And so also in our life, we have to look at the life from a total perspective, as Arjuna could see, as he was made to see. He could see the insignificance of an individual, and he just got, he got shaken up. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm frightened, thinking that he was insignificant. He could insignificant. He says, Rute Vitvam Navarishandi Sarve. Lord Krishna says, whether you are there or not, none of them is going to be here. All of these are already killed by me. Arjuna, did you see all that? Arjuna was shaken up. He couldn't see. Sagat gadam pranamya. And then, so when, otherwise how can I kill them? And they are my relatives. And they are this. He kept on saying this thing. Gave a long lecture to Krishna. What will happen when all these people are killed? And what will happen to their families? And their children? And their tradition? And fine. Lord gave him altogether a different perspective. In that perspective, these things doesn't count at all. I mean, then we know what it is, you know, I mean, uh, the place that it occupies. And then we know that these are all, even one body and one life and everything is just insignificant. And my dimension is something different. I'll just reduce my dimension to this body. I'm not limited to this dimension. I'm dimensionless. But when I look at any given thing from a total perspective that I can see the insignificance of this. What an insignificant thing we are holding on to. Therefore it is said, Buddhavat Sharam. This is perishable like a bubble. 
This is how one should know the body. That is not Atma. Etad vilakshanam vidyat. And who am I? Etad vilakshanam. Totally distinct from this. This complex of the body, sense organs, mind and intellect. I am the one who is totally distinct from that. Who am I? It is all drashyajatam. Who am I? I am drashta. I am the witness. I am seer. Yad drashyam tad jadam. Whatever is perceived is jadam, is inert. I am the conscious being. <coughs> all of this is avidyakam, product of avidya or ignorance. I am of the nature of knowledge. All of this is buddhavudvat kshadam. Is this perishable like a bubble? I am the one who is imperishable. Etad vilakshanam nirmalam nirupadikam nityam ekam satchidanandatmakam brahmaivahamasmiti vidyat. So who am I? Etad vilakshanam nirmalam. I am free from mala. I am pure. The impurity is there definitely in the mind, impurity is going to be there in the body. And who am I? I am Nirmalaha, pure. Nirupadikam, this is an upadi. The body, mind, intellect complex is upadi. Upadi means that which seems to throw its weight upon I, in fact I am Nirupadika, like a crystal. Recognizing that I am pure, even though I appear to be colored, I realize that that color that appears in me is due to the cloth which is place beside me, and so also the sense of limitation that appears in me is on account of this body-mind complex that is just placed in the vicinity of me. Dhirupadi <coughs> koham, I am not upadi, I am the one who is from the upadi. Nityam, this is kshram, buddhavat kshram, whatever I perceive is all perishable. Is, is, is like a bubble. Who am I? Nityoham. I am imperishable. I am. Even the time also is something that is objectified by me. I am aware of time also. I am aware of space also. And therefore, time and space also I am not, but I cannot be what I am aware of. I am aware of time. But who am I? That on account of which even the time is. So, interesting thing is, that the awarer is there on account of which the awarer is. The seer is there on account of which or account of whom the seen is. The drashta or the witness says that on account of whom the drushya or the object is. <coughs> so time and space are in me and I am the one who is free from the time and space. Nityam, ekam, and I am one alone. There is no duality, there is none other than me. As long as I take this body to be I, well, everybody is different from me. Because one body is different from the other body. And as long as I take this body to be I, certainly I am different from everyone else. But when I recognize that this body also is something that is known to me, then this body falls in the category of any other body. And so, in the meditation in the morning you are told that visualize in your mind the body of your neighbor. It's easy to visualize, because I can see that. It's easy for me to visualize in my mind what I can see by my eyes. Now in that same place, imagine your own body. Where there is neighbor's body, now imagine your body. As though you stand apart from your own body and visualize in the same manner. Now neighbor's body, your body. Neighbor's body, your body. That's the way to recognize that the body also 
is an object of knowledge. <coughs> and when this body becomes an object of knowledge to me, then this body becomes, falls in the same category as any other body. So if I am a seer or the witness of body of my neighbor, well, I am equally a witness of this body which I call as I. And then when I am the witness of the body, I am not, I do not have the form. Because form belongs to the body. And I thought that I have the form as long as I take myself to the body. If I don't have a form, then what is my limit? Where do I stop? So wherever I look, everything is known to me. And therefore, every form and every boundary, in fact, becomes an object of knowledge to me. So there is no boundary because the boundary also is within the awareness. And so there is no nothing that in fact confines me. The body does not confine me. The mind and intellect do not confine me. The time and space, nothing confines me. I am the one who is one without a second for whom everything is the object of knowledge. <coughs> Satchidanandatmakam, your existence I am, chit, your awareness I am, ananda, limitless I am. <coughs> Brahmayu ahamasmi, this is vidya, this is how one should know oneself as Brahman. <coughs> Tataha Kratakratyo Bhavati. What happens with this knowledge? Tataha, on account of this knowledge, Kratakratyo Bhavati. Kratam Krutyam Yenasaha Kratakratyaha. One by whom. So, whatever is Kratyam, Krutyam is that which should be done. Kritam means that which is done. So one who has done whatever is to be done is called is Kritakritya. And this knowledge makes me Kritakritya. Makes me the one who has done whatever is to be done. Meaning one whose life is completely fulfilled. So this knowledge makes a person fulfilled in every respect because to discover myself to be limitless, discover myself to be uh, Brahman, is, is all that I am seeking, in fact, <coughs> because Brahman is limitless. Evam Uktaritya Atmanam Advayanandam Vakyatajnanena Aparokshataya Jnatva Svanuhava Avastambhena Atmaniva Atmanaha Manana Prakaramaha Panjabhi Shlokaihi <coughs> You may say that so far what the section that was there can be called Shravanam. Meaning that in all these verses the nature of Atma has been revealed by the teacher. So that is Shravanam. When something new is revealed to us and then when we Reflect upon what has been revealed, then that will be called mananam. And when we try to assimilate or own up what has been known, that will be called nirudhyasanam or meditation. So shravanam, listening to the scriptures. So listening means I expose myself to the scriptures which are the means of the knowledge and thus I learn. So shravanam is the learning process. Then what I have learned requires also to be clarified. There may be several doubts or what I have learned with reference to a given 
illustration, what I have learned with reference to a given setup has to be seen as applicable to all the setups. You understand? That's so, in the classroom, when we listen to the teacher, then we see what the teacher reveals to us. But then, to be able to translate that into all different situations in my life, that very same knowledge also is required, meaning what I have learned through Sharanam has to completely pervade all the, the whole of my life. Then the knowledge becomes clear. And finally, I have to own up that knowledge. There are errors. So there are habitual error because of which there is a self-forgetfulness as though and therefore alertly owning up that knowledge. And then see it through and through everywhere. That is going to require again a mananam, a reflection. That what is seen in laboratory, you know, in one reference, so when I can appreciate that apple is falling, you know, now when I see a stone falling then I know it's the same thing. Or when I see a feather falling, I know it's the same thing. Or when I fall down myself, I know it's all gravity. Meaning that, that law of gravity which I understood in reference to a particular setup in the laboratory, a laboratory, you know, where an object is made to fall and we make measurements, etc. Then wherever this law of gravity is found to recognize it, that would be the task of mananam. And then, in this particular case, since there is an error of self-forgetfulness, to own up that knowledge will be Nidhyasaram. So translation of that knowledge becomes necessary and that is Mananam. Otherwise, we may be able to see a given thing in, in one reference, but to be able to see the same thing in different references becomes necessary. Now I know that 12 multiplied by 5 is equal to 16. But when there are uh, 5 objects, each of 12, in the group of uh, 12, you know, and there are five of them, then to know that this means sixty is application of that knowledge in the and and to be able to see that. As I might have told you that in Ahmedabad we had this, this boy who every day used to deliver milk. At the end of the month we settled account with him. And so at that at the end of the month I had to give him hundred and twenty rupees. So I pulled out twenty four notes or bills of five rupees each and I gave him. I said count before you go, you know. Oh, he started counting. That fellow was studying in fourth grade and so he has studied all these multiplication tables and everything. He starts counting 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. So why are you counting like this? They're all five of the notes. Why don't you all count them once and then multiply? It says, have you, have you, have you, do you know multiplication tables or not? He says, yeah. Do you know what is 24 times 5? He says, yes. What is it? 120. Then how many notes are these? 24. Each one is what? 5 rupees. Well, how many rupees are that? So I don't know. So, he doesn't know that 24 times 5 that he has studied in the classroom in one setup is this 24 times 5 here. And so that requires translation of our knowledge into a given situation, you see. And we have to do that also. Otherwise, the knowledge doesn't get translated in our life. <coughs> so, Mananam accomplishes all that. Every situation requires us to reflect upon the situation and see what that knowledge that I have means in this particular setup. So clarity. And then owning up that knowledge by overcoming the habitual error will be Nidhyasanam. So according to this Tigakara, the next five verses 
gives uh, the method of what they call mananam or reflection upon so vakyartha jnanena aparokshataya jnatva or it can be called for better nidhyasana in fact but <coughs> whatever you want to call it says e muktaritya atmanam advayanandam atma the self who is advayananda who is ananda means who is happiness advaya and, and non-dual vakyasa jnanena vakyasa means mahavakyasa jnanena by knowledge about the mahavakyasa such as tattvamasi has to convey by the aparokshataya jnatva seeing directly or immediately the meaning of this vakya the statement I am limitless so this statement I am awareness I am formless directly seeing the meaning of the statement svanubhava avastambhena so shravanam gives us this knowledge as to who I am svanubhava avastambhena and now by my own various experiences atmaniva atmanaha manana prakaramaha then translating that knowledge in, in and through all my experiences meaning seeing that knowledge in and through every experience this will be manana prakaraha the method of mananam and that is presented in the next five verses <coughs> so the verse 31 says <coughs> ಮೆ ಜನ್ಮ ಜರಾಕಾರಶಿಲಯಾದಿಷಯಸಂಗ್ರಿಯತೆಯ that I am not the body. What does it mean? Deha Anyatvatme Since I am different from the Deha, Deha, Deha Anyatvat, Dehaat Anyoham, I am the one who is different from the body. That being the case, Janma Jara Karsalayadeha Name Then Janma Name The birth is not for me. Jara decrepited old age is not for me. Karshi or Krishada, the thinness or what do you call it, uh, uh, becoming emaciated, whatever, that also is not for me. Laya, death also is not for me, because all of these belong to the body. And so birth also belongs to body, so does the death. Old is also belongs to the body, so does disease. And therefore, all of these are not for me, meaning they are not mine. They all belong to the body. So, this is translational knowledge that I am not the body. And therefore, this knowledge has to be translated. Every time the idea comes in my mind that today is my birth rate, well, this is not my birth, it's not my birth. It is the birth of the body. The hair is getting gray, I am getting old, well, that's not for me, that's for the body. I become very thin, I have lost a lot of weight, that's not for me, that is for the body. I've put on a lot of weight, whatever it is, you know. And so, when all of these are conditions of body, which you recognize. It's not, there's no need that I need not recognize the conditions of body. But I need not call them my conditions, that's all. 
If I know the body and its conditions, perhaps it's one thing. But when I say I am old, to say that the body is old is one thing. And to say that I am old is altogether a different thing. I am old, immediately there is a fear of death. Or fear of all the things that I have lost. Or fear of all the things that I cannot do anymore. The body is old, fine, the body is old. I am not old. So I am old is one thing, body is old is another thing. I am born is one thing, body is born is another thing. I am going to die is one thing, body is going to die is another thing. <coughs> That's what it said. Tikagara Dehanyatvat Drishyadi Sadharas Thula Sadharadi Anyatvat Janmajara Karsalada Nasanti Since I am different from the body of Drishyadi Sadharas Thula Sadharadi Anyatvat so who is this two nishayam? What's the nature of the gross body? Drishyadi Swabhava. Gross body, which is Drishyam, Buddha Avidyakam, Buddha Vatsharam. This gross body is a product of five elements. And these five elements, so they are, and this body is inert. It is a product of the five elements. Body is the object of my knowledge. Body is subject to birth and death. Body is perishable. With reference to a time scale body is like a bubble. I am different from, since I am different from the body, since I am the seer and the body is the seen, since I am the knower and the body is known, therefore I am not the body and therefore all these different attributes of the body, such as Janma, Jara, Karsa, Layadeha, the birth, the old age, the Krishata, the, the, uh, the fatness, grossness, whatever, thinness, all the death, all of these, nasanti, they are not for me. Shabdadi vishayhi sangyaha nirindyatayanacha. Each one of these can become, can then aid in meditation. You can take just one verse or the idea contained in a verse and that can become the idea to explore during one session of meditation. Just one idea. I am different from the body and therefore the birth is not for me. You can sit there and visualize the process of your own birth if you can, you know, how you are born and how you are growing. Imagine little embryo and then growing and little mouse being born, you know, that's what a child is. When a child is born, is <laughs> like a little mouse, I guess, you know. Such a funny and ugly creature anyway. And slowly and slowly it grows. Grows into a big thing. Then he, then he grows, you know, so tall that mother also looks like a child before this fellow, you know, sometimes children, you know, sons grow so tall and so hefty. But from little thing, just grown. And Mahatma said, one person went to a Mahatma and this Paul Brenton, I think, he had gone to India and he was interviewing different Mahatmas and he went to one Mahatma in Vindavan and asked this question. That Swamiji, can you tell us uh, some miracles that you may have seen? He says, well, I'm seeing one in front of me. He says, what is that, you know? He says, imagine a little drop, you know, becoming this mobile thing. What it was, imagine, what is the source from where I have come ultimately? Some drop of, uh, of a semen, you know? And that has become this whole thing that is moving and walking and talking. What bigger miracle do you want? He says, you know, it's right in front of me. It's a miracle. And so that's a way of looking at the whole thing. And 
and uh, fine, you can imagine, and that is how I will become objective also. There's such an identification with my childhood and such an identification, well, all that, stand apart. Let, look at that child and see the process of growth. Even if it is, uh, even if uh, perhaps suffering is involved, that doesn't matter. You objectify that. Mm-hmm. How the poor child is spent and how he's banged and how he's, in, okay, go through that thing. And then you'll be able to see, you know, and so many spankings you receive and so many bangings also you receive from home, from outside and everywhere else, you know. Okay, those days you are weeping and doing all this, now you can just stand apart and see. And I think that it's okay after all. And thus we can actually objectify the whole process and such an amount of identification that we have. My childhood problem, childhood problem. Who is that child? Where is that child? He's gone. You're not a child. Yeah, but I'm carrying everything with me. Okay, stand apart. Stand apart from the whole thing and see where it belongs. It is there someplace. The problems are there but if they are in some place, I, they are in a place where I can see them clearly, objectify them. So Vedanta does not want us to reject life or run away from it, we want to settle the account of life. And therefore take your time to clearly see these things, that how the child grows and how I become a young man, how I am growing old or whatever it is, and then see those things objectively, dispassionately. That is where the freedom from Radha is required. The moment I have likes, aversion, attachment, I cannot be objective. I, make, I can be objective about everything in the world. I cannot be objective about this body because there is a very special attachment there. <coughs> but since I am different from the body, the problems of the body are not mine, and whatever there is in the body is all different from me, I am different from it, and therefore I am not that. That doesn't mean that the body, you know, uh, that you don't have the body. Uh, so the body is there as an instrument for you to use and, and accomplish the purpose for which it is meant. It is not meant for suffering. That identifying with the body and suffering with that's not the idea there. Mirindriyataya, who am I? Mirindriyaham. I don't have any sense organs. Mirindriyataya. Since I am unconnected with the sense organs also, Indriyadri Asangatvat, I am not connected with my... Connected means again, just as the body is an object of my knowledge, so also my eyes, ears, hands, legs and everything are also objects of my knowledge. Therefore, Asangatvat, I am unconnected with them. The, the drashta is unconnected with drashyam. The seer is unconnected to what is seen, subject is unconnected to the object. The sense organs are all objects of my knowledge. Therefore, asangatva, since I am unconnected to them, I am not the sense organs. So it is, is Kavili Upanishad is, Apani Pado, Hamachinja Shaktihi, Pasyami Chakshu, Sashnokti Karanaha, Aham Vijanam, Vitrupaha, Nachaste Vetra, Mamachit Sadaham. Apani Tadoham, I am one without hands and legs. Achinta Shaktihi, then how do I accomplish all this? Achinta Shaktihi, Pashyami Achakshuhu, I don't have eyes, but I see everything. Sashranoti Akaranaha, I don't have ears, but I hear everything. And so hearing is done by the ears, 
and the witness of the function of hearing, seeing, walking, talking, etc. <coughs> I myself, so Sarvendriya Gunavasam, Sarvendriya Vivarjitam, Asaktam. As 13th chapter of Gita says, Sarvendriya Gunavasam, the one that appears to be functioning through all the sense organs, Sarvendriya Vivarjitam, but one who is devoid of all the sense organs, or one is distinct or different from all the sense organs, but still appearing to function through the different sense organs. And so, Nirindriyoham, I don't, I, I don't have any sense organs, neither am I the sense organs, nor are the sense organs mine. Both ways. Neither am I the body, nor is this body mine, because I am not connected to the body. Okay, you may have a special relationship with the body, etc., but the body is not yours. For, for it to be mine, there must be a physical connection. For me to call this son is mine, there must be some physical connection there. For this house to be mine, some connection must be there. What connection do I have with this body? There is no way that I can be connected with it and therefore I cannot call it my body because my is association, is relationship, you know. And so also, just as the sense organs I am not, these are not my sense organs either. And therefore, Asangatvat Sabdadivishayhi Sangha Nasti Sabdadivishay Bhogayhi And therefore, all the various experiences taking place at the level of the sense organs Pashyan, Shrunvan, Sprushan, Jibhan, Ashnan, Gachan, Swapan, Shvasan, Pralapan, Visabhyan, Grandhan, Unmishan, Nimishan, Apev So all these functions are taking place, seeing, hearing, talking, tasting, touching grasping, releasing, and so on and so forth, when all the functions are taking place, well, I don't perform those functions, they are not my functions, I am just, just in my presence, all of these things are being done. <coughs> and therefore, Shabdadivishabhavahi Sangha Nastiyava, I do not have any Sangha or attachment or connection with all the various experiences taking place at the level of sense organs. Anuhavatva because I am the nature of Anuhava. I am the one in whose presence all the experiences take place. But I, these experiences are not mine. All the experiences are in the level of sense organs. So Shabdali Vishayi Nirindriyataya. That's a hate on account of the fact that I am the one who is devoid of all the sense organs. How can you say that? Because I am the seer or the knower of the sense organs. And therefore, Therefore, I don't have any association or connection with Shabdadivishayahi with such, with all the experiences such as these hearing, tasting, etc. taking place. I am not connected to them. I am just a witness of them. In my presence, all these experiences take place. <coughs> okay. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam 
केशवादरायण सूत्रभाष्यत वंदे भगवत ईश्वरो गुरुरत्मे मूर्ति भेद विभागिने व्योमेहाय दक्षिणामूर्त नम शांति हरि ओ श्री गुरुभ्यो